Chapters seven and eight of the interrupted kiss by Richard Marsh. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter seven. The dell. Elsie made straight for a certain dell which she knew in the woods. It had possibly once been a place from which gravel had been taken, but that was long ago. Thick matted turf hid any signs of such like depredations. A tree which Elsie used to assure herself had once been struck by lightning stood on one of the slopes something had severed the trunk within a few feet of its roots what was left of it was still very much alive it had often afforded elsie support for her back and shelter for her head during the bitter days she had known since her coming to england as a stranger to take up her abode at timberham she had often sought in this place for that peace of mind which she had not found in her uncle's house it was but natural in this her hour of anguish that she should come to it again as to a haven of refuge she lay face downward on the moss and the grass wrestling with those doubts and difficulties which had blotted out from her that glimpse of happiness which she believed herself to have achieved at last how long she had lain there she did not know nor how long she would have continued to lie had it not been for something which set every nerve in her body tingling that something was the sound of a voice elsie she lay quite still the sound was so unexpected so sweet yet so terrible that for a moment she did not dare to confront the man who addressed her by her christian name presently he did it again there was a tenderness in his tone which put her all in a flutter elsie in a sudden rage as if it were only in rage that she saw safety twisting herself round she faced the speaker how dare you come to me here rupert earle stood looking down on her with that twinkle in his eyes which once she had liked so well but which of late she had resented with a vigour which it seemed that nothing could make him realise she was aware that he was noting the stains which the scarcely dried tears had left upon her countenance but she chose to remain oblivious of the fact that in her appearance there was anything unusual as he made no attempt to answer her angry question she repeated it more angrily still did you hear what i said how dare you come to me here then he replied in the most equable of tones with twinkling eyes you used to bring me with you here in the days that are gone there was no question of daring i have a better right to be with you here than i had then where's the daring now she got on to her feet fanning her rage ignore it as she might possibly the consciousness of her dishevelled condition did not render her more amenable are you going or must i we are neither of us going just yet she made a rapid movement towards the bank moving more rapidly still springing in front of her he had her by the arms here was an excuse for fury she raved at him how dare you touch me let me go not until i have had that explanation with you to which i am entitled how are you going to keep me here by force i am going to keep you how does not matter i've waited patiently until that ridiculous coroner had brought his absurd inquest to a preposterous close i've even kept away from timberham lest my presence should annoy you as if i hadn't seen you nearly every day that's not my fault nor is it because i was at timberham perhaps it was because you wanted to you dare to say it anyhow i am going to wait no longer you and i are going to tell each other all that is in our minds are we we are i am going to tell you all that is in my mind and you're going to tell me all that is in yours the only question is if i loose you will you promise to stop until we're through i'll promise nothing very good 
then i'll have to go on holding i'm willing i'm only afraid that i may hurt you you've hurt me already i'm sorry but unless i find a cord and tie you to a tree or something else of that sort i don't see how i'm going to manage as i said i'm going to keep you here just how is a matter for your consideration rather than for mine oh don't be so insane let me go i'll stop when i've had my say it will be you who'll want to go maybe but i'm going to have my say first i'm going to start with the axiom that we love each other i deny it then you say the thing which is not you told me that you loved me and you're not the sort that changes love may be killed in a night not in your case nor in mine we're the kind who when we love love always through good report and evil i presume it is useless to ask you in such a matter to speak for yourself well i am speaking for myself i go back to the axiom that we love each other just let me go on talking if you'll let me get out a sentence or two you'll find that i'll reach a point where we'll be in agreement what i understand is that though we love each other we're not going to own it and you're not over anxious to be my wife i'll never be your wife because it is not a pleasant thing to have to say but if it must be said it were best said bluntly you believe me to have killed old culver he paused as if for her to speak but she said nothing she stood looking at him with her left hand a little behind her so that her finger-tips touched the trunk of the storm-riven oak as if the contact afforded her support and sympathy he put to her a question do i not put the case quite clearly she continued silent will you be so good as to favour me with an answer this time she spoke i'll speak when you have finished you informed me that you were going to have the first say and i'm waiting for you to have it is that so then with one statement i've done if that is your belief you're wrong utterly i've had no more to do with john culver's death than you had she shrank close towards the tree as if she desired to feel it at her back her eyes seemed suddenly to have grown larger and rounder how dare you say that simply because it's true don't let me be misunderstood i hold that there are men who like poisonous snakes are best killed john culver was one of them i'd have thought as little of killing him as of killing some noxious insect if i had killed him only it so happens that i didn't therefore if the idea that i did has induced you to hold me at arm's length i've been hardly used yet i will have none of you as she spoke it was as if a light had illumined all her face why since we love each other you know i do not you either say the thing which is not or you are duller than i supposed something in her words or manner seemed to tickle him the corners of his lips were wrinkled by a smile he looked down as he dug the toe of his boot into the turf it was some seconds before he spoke then it was with the air of one who knows that what he says is funny it's true that i robbed him that you do admit of my own each man has his own gloss i never doubted you had yours now let me speak so far as i am concerned you are welcome to take any view of your own conduct you please i don't want your confidence i refuse to have it i wish to know neither what you have done nor left undone my position is that so long as you tell me nothing i know nothing that position i wish to maintain as regards my attitude towards you nothing will change that rest assured 
i don't know what my movements will be but if necessary to avoid you i'll go back to new zealand or farther that ought not to be necessary if you have any of those decent instincts with which once i credited you you'll not compel me to fly from you you'll keep yourself away from me i have only one favour to ask that is that you may never let me see you again you said you loved me prove it by granting me my prayer there was something about him as she spoke which suggested that he was rather occupied with his own thoughts than listening to her he had never once looked up but kept his eyes cast down as if he were interested not so much in what she was saying as in what he saw on the turf the remark which he made when she ceased speaking had no apparent relevancy to any words of hers it came from him as if absent-mindedly he was uttering his thoughts aloud i'm an inventor i've not a doubt of it her prompt acquiescence seemed to recall him to himself he glanced up at her for a second as if startled then again his glance fell not in that sense only he said it with a smile i'm an inventor also of things that unhappiest of men ever since i've been in the world i've been inventing something which was an improvement on what there was before and no one would believe it some of my inventions have brought money to other men but they've brought me nothing not even fame i've heard all this before you're going to hear it all again because it leads to something which you have not heard before my life has been one of those which when one looks back makes one wonder why one ever went on living it's been failure failure all the way until about two years ago my first glimpse of success came with my first sight of you that's nonsense it's gospel truth for me to see you was for me to love you and in that first hour in which i fell in love with you i had my first clear peep of the thing which shortly will place me in possession of riches compared to which the well-advertised fortunes of your american plutocrats will be as nothing of course as you say of course i have invented what practically amounts to perpetual motion i fancy you are not the first person who has believed himself to have done so you're right i'm not but i'm the first person who knows he has this is the age of motors you have your motor-car to take you up to town i haven't no but you will have before very long i doubt it i don't one form of motor grinds your corn another drives great ships across the sea for the purpose of my argument all engines are motors and all motors stand for power is this a scientific lecture it's not i'm getting to a certain point and if you'll let me go my own way i'll get there quicker power is best got from electricity it's the electricity which is so hard to get its production is so costly and uncertain that for many purposes it's discredited and those precisely the purposes for which it's most adapted now i've discovered how after the initial cost electricity may be produced for nothing in other words i found out how it may be made to produce itself i have in a workshop of mine an engine not bigger than that he held his hands about two feet apart i started it working some five months ago it has been working continually day and night ever since without water coal oil or fuel of any sort or kind at absolutely no cost for power to me or to anyone else i'm willing to bet a trifle that it will continue to work under similar conditions practically forever at any rate until it dies of sheer old age you never told me anything about that before 
i wasn't likely to talk about a thing like that to anyone but the woman who was going to be my wife how long ago is it that you promised that you would and how many opportunities have i had of talking to you since i never will be your wife never well i've started talking to you as if we were going to be married next week and i'm going to keep on i did tell you that i've been all my life pretty near penniless my engine in its initiatory stages cost money it kept costing money as it passed from stage to stage i got that money from old culver who had pocketed the profits which other inventions of mine had produced i had been getting money from him when i first saw you standing on the lawn in front of his window i thought you were an angel dropped out of heaven stuff perhaps but it's of such stuff that men's happiest dreams are made as i said in that same hour i got my first clear peep at the thing i was after as if your coming meant to me not only the advent of love but of sight do you suppose you please me by saying such things i'm indifferent i please myself i kept getting money from culver and culver kept getting more of my engine until at last when beyond the shadow of a doubt i had achieved success and like a fool told him so he made it clear to me that to all intents and purposes he had got it all mr earle jingling the coins in his trousers pockets laughed ruefully he told me plainly that if i did not return to him in an impossibly short space of time the advance he had made to me he would take from me my engine and my invention would become his the result of which would be that he would become the richest man in the world and i should still be a beggar a pleasant intimation to receive when after a life of failure i had succeeded beyond my wildest expectations again there was the impatient gesture and the rueful laugh <laughs> when i tell you that it was on the same day on which john culver gave me that intimation that i asked you to be my wife you will begin to understand that my love for you had got me so that i could no longer hold out against it although it looked as if i were a hopeless and a ruined man i had to tell you that i loved you you perhaps noticed that i did not talk to you just as i might have done had i been in an optimistic frame of mind what does it matter how you talk to me exactly as i won you as you told me that you loved me i agree with you that nothing else does matter here we come to a nice point in ethics you remember that interrupted kiss i remember nothing i will remember nothing if you were the man i imagined you to be you would not remember anything either ah but i'm not that man any more than you seem to be that girl though i fancy that at bottom we both are what we thought we were only so far as i am concerned something is temporarily obscuring your usually clear vision those beautiful eyes of yours were given you so that you might see right into the very heart of a man and presently you'll see all that there is to be seen in mine and you'll be kinder however there was an interruption which we have both of us forgotten it seems a tall thing to ask you to believe but at the very moment of that forgotten interruption there came into my head an idea which has caused trouble but which i don't regret or ever shall and which you won't either by the time we've done he stretched out his arms as if by the gesture he would recall the occasion of which he spoke she with her glance fixed always on him shrank closer to the tree as from the invitation which the action might imply as that evening in the garden you slipped from my arms at the mathematical moment while i was swearing at the intruder i was also swearing to myself of such dual action is the brain capable that i'd not be beggared diddled and robbed again by old culver as i had been so often before 
but that if any robbery had to be done i'd do a little on my own account i knew where he kept the papers which he'd told me to my face he meant to use to rob me of my engine i'd rob him of the weapons with which he proposed to arm himself to plunder me and i did in the dead of night i opened the box in which he kept them it was one of his peculiarities that he kept so much of the booty of which he had plundered others where it could easily be taken from him and i made of them a bonfire in my bedroom grate i knew the precise sum he'd lent me and papers or no papers i was prepared to return it to him with interest at the rate of a hundred per cent or a thousand only if i could help it i'd not let him rob me of all the fruits of my life-long labours i have made to you a complete confession of my guilt i had no hand in the old man's death i know no more than you who had again he paused as if for her to speak shrinking closer and closer to the tree she kept still don't you believe me what does it matter what i believe he observed her curiously she spoke as if her throat were dry on her face there was a look as of actual physical pain i suppose you were disturbed in your sleep i remember that i dropped the box which was heavier than i expected on the floor with rather a bang i wondered if any one would hear i take it that you did and came out of your bedroom to learn the cause of the noise and that then you saw me though how you can have seen me without my seeing you i do not understand nor why you connected me with culver's death since i saw nothing of him from first to last come be as frank with me as i have been with you it's only fair tell me all you imagine yourself to have seen and heard what difference would it make to me apparently it would make all the difference in the world you are mistaken it would make none i will tell you nothing you will do me the justice to remember that i told you that i wished you to tell me nothing she stopped he waited for her to go on then asked her what does that mean what you have just now said it means that i have nothing to add to what i told you at first that henceforward you and i must be strangers but why i am not compelled to give you a reason in honour you are compelled if a woman knows what honour is i'll give you no reason i ask you what i asked at the beginning to go you announced with a flourish that when you had had your say it would be me who would wish to go don't you surely you cannot wish to stay with a woman who'd cut off her right hand if doing it would put you and keep you a thousand miles from her i've a mind to take you in my arms and have my fill of kisses while you fight and scream and scratch you are mistaken you have no such mind you are not that kind of man there you are right i'm not i'd have nothing from you which you would not give me but since i love you and you know that you love me i notice that you have never once denied that you do love me i dare you to deny it now although he held his peace his challenge went unanswered he interrupted her silence in his own fashion since therefore it's evident that you do love me it's only a question of time probably of only a very short time and you'll be willing to give me all i want then sweetheart when the scale shall have fallen from your eyes and your heart be softened we will be glad together i've done so much waiting in my life i'll wait still a little longer for that good time to come chapter eight the riven oak he had gone she could hear him as he went striding with great steps through the brushwood whistling cheerily merrily as he went 
it was as though he whistled defiance as though he wished her to understand that he cared nothing for her or for her unkindness but she knew better she knew he cared because she cared too all the more because she knew that his intention was to hide from her so far as he was able how much he cared the sound of his whistling went through her like a knife occasioning her such pain that she had to turn and hide her face against the trunk of the friendly tree she had sent him away if she raised her voice and called to him how gladly when he heard her would he come hastening back and how glad she would be to see him her heart leapt in her bosom at the thought with such force that it took all her breath away and she panted as she leaned against the tree but she could not do that never she could never welcome him again he did not know it but she knew that kiss which had been begun never would be finished their lips would never meet again he was quite right she was one of those women who loving once love always more was the pity if her love for him might pass it would not so much matter but it would not whatever might be tied it would be in some corner of her heart until her dying day nothing could ever drive it out but one thing was sure if she could not conceal it from herself she could hide it from the world perhaps not from him but if needs be she would put more than the thousand miles of which she had spoken between herself and him there was her cousin clare she would not be easy to deceive clare understood her almost as well as he did she on her side understood clare better than clare herself supposed there was that between them which was as a bond which never could be broken let clare know it was vain to attempt to hide the truth from her she might be trusted not to take any unfriendly advantage of her knowledge but the rest of the world should not know she would go about in it with a smiling face and none should guess that in her heart there was a pain that never ceased she drew herself away from the tree looking about her raising her arms above her head as if she would proclaim aloud the resolution at which she had arrived when she lifted her arms a strange thing happened the tree as has been said was but a torso there remained but five or six feet of the trunk when as she was doing then she stood beneath it on the slope it was taller than she was if she went to the other side on the higher ground it was just about as tall how little of it however there really was was not perceptible to the casual unobservant eye owing to the fact that from all round the top of it had sprung branches which were so close together that at least in the time of leaf its scanty proportions were not revealed nature had so shaped these branches that in spring and summer they were as a vernal crown lending such dignity to the parent trunk that a stranger might easily have supposed that there was much more of it than there actually was in raising her arms elsie graham had parted that portion of the foliage which was nearest to her and made obvious what she knew already that to a considerable extent the trunk was hollow but she had done more than this ever since her coming to timberham she had regarded the dell as her own especial portion of the woods she had spent hours in it alone at all seasons of the year she had worked in it read in it dreamed in it she had explored it as a woman does explore a place in which she spends an appreciable portion of her time she knew its every corner in particular she knew that riven oak she very quickly learned that portions of it were hollow when the leaves were there their presence was hidden they were plainer when the leaves had gone she had used the hollows not necessarily as hiding-places but as places in which she might store odds and ends which she might want in the dell and did not care to carry backward and forward to the house 
that movement of her arm had disclosed to her the fact that someone else seemed to have used them for a similar purpose one of the shorter branches which were rather twigs had caught in her sleeve turning to disengage it she saw in a hollow place which the leaves obscured a gleam of something white it was nothing of hers she had had nothing there for weeks but it was not hers whose else could it be the question startled her someone besides herself must have knowledge of her dell and of the hollows in her tree she looked about her with wide open eyes as if she suspected that someone was there at that very moment but no one was in sight and all was very still it was absurd to allow herself to be disturbed by such a trifle perhaps after all what she had seen was something of her own which she had forgotten she went a little higher up the slope quite close to the tree and parting the branches looked in as she did so a shiver went all over her as if it had all at once turned cold loosing the branches she moved a step from the tree down the slope having touched nothing it was extraordinary into what a state of nervous trepidation she had suddenly got for no apparent reason she glanced about her this way and that as if she were afraid of the rustling leaves when a pheasant at a distance went whirring up into the air she put her hands up to her bosom trembling as if it had been a sound of doom she was conscious of the absurdity of her own conduct she told herself so out loud what an idiot i am what a silly yet though she owned her folly she seemed incapable for the moment of anything else a perceptible period of time elapsed before she gathered sufficient resolution to enable her to pursue her researches into what was hidden in that hollow in the tree then it was with an obvious effort that she reached the sticking point she turned with a start and with another start turned back again then as if unwillingly returned to the tree she raised her hands so slowly that one wondered if the muscles of the arms could have suddenly grown stiff and slowly parted the leaves this time she continued motionless to stare into the hollow there seemed nothing very dreadful to stare at or very wonderful although it was curious how such things could have got there in it there were a number of papers looking for the most part like legal documents blue that aggressive legal blue and white bundles of what seemed to be parchments some yellow with age some white as if they had been new yesterday it was the gleam of their whiteness which had first of all caught her eye a heterogeneous collection especially to be in such a place from where she stood she could not see all that was there it was a good-sized hollow and was nearly as full as it could hold on the top was an envelope an oblong envelope perhaps nine or ten inches long it fascinated her that envelope it was so close to her lying so that she could see that something was written or rather scrawled across the face of it she knew that scrawl or thought she did unless she erred it was a sample of what her uncle old john culver had called sometimes it almost seemed humorously his writing when he was younger it was conceivable that he might have written a legible hand he certainly had not done so when she knew him when he was old she recalled the difficulty with which she assisted by her friends and neighbours had spelled out the epistle in which he had summoned her from new zealand to timberham later more than one person had told her that he purposely wrote as badly as he could in order that if it suited him what he had written might be capable of various interpretations certainly his communications were apt to seem rather hieroglyphics than letters of an english gentleman if on the face of that envelope there was not an example of her uncle's hieroglyphics then the resemblance was amazing 
she stared at it as if she could not take her eyes away presently advancing her hand she picked it up between her finger and thumb she must make sure she did make sure she was certain it was her uncle's scrawl though as usual for some seconds she could not make out what it stood for then all in an instant it came to her as it were with a rush and as it came she turned white and red and red and white her jaw dropped her eyes opened so wide that they seemed to have become distended to an unnatural size and all in the same instant there was the sound behind her of footsteps dropping the envelope back into the hollow turning she ran down the slope sinking on to the grass at the bottom as if she were in such a tremblement that she could no longer stand upon her feet End of chapter 7 and 8